Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It's hosted by Kinexus, and it's titled Impactful Methods to Benefit Organizational Knowledge Management and Continuous Improvement Efforts. I'm Mark Raven, a senior advisor with Kinexus. I'll be the host and moderator today. And we're really thrilled to be joined by our presenter, Dr. Cynthia J. Young. I'll tell you more uh, about Cindy in a minute, and we'll make sure we share links to her website and social media and uh, places you can find her online after the session. So Dr. Cindy Young is the founder and CEO of CJ Young Consulting, LLC, a knowledge management consulting firm. And she's also a curriculum developer and instructor with the company Lidos. After uh, about a decade ago, Cindy retired as a surface warfare officer after 23 years in the U.S. Navy, which is where her love for knowledge management began. Cindy holds professional certifications as a project management professional, a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, and as an ASQ Certified Manager of Quality and Organizational Excellence. Her doctoral study, titled Knowledge Management and Innovation on Firm Performance of United States Ship Repair, provided Cindy the opportunity to gain additional professional and academic expertise to facilitate improvements in organizational knowledge management. And you can also go find online uh, Cindy's TEDx talk, um, September 2020, she gave a talk titled A Knowledge Mindset, What to Know Comes from Where You Sit, and that provides actions that organizations can take to improve trust and retention through use of knowledge management practices. So Cindy is both a continuous improvement expert, a knowledge management expert, so she's the perfect person to talk to us today. Uh, about this topic. And I also want to acknowledge and say hi to Buddy the Cat, who is enjoying the sun <laughs> in, the wind, in the window. So uh, yeah, Buddy was there when Cindy and I did a podcast um, recently, and um, Buddy's uh, going to be chill and not get in the way. So Cindy, let me turn things over to you. Thanks again for presenting today. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Um, I know that it sounds pretty cheesy, but I really do. Um, I, you know, for those of you I don't know, um, I have followed Mark on LinkedIn for a couple of years. I have friends that know him, and so it's it's really fun for me to actually be here and present with Kinexus, and also doing the podcast with them. Um, so I'm just really excited about sharing knowledge management. Um, I, I've loved it since I was in the military and before I even knew it was called knowledge management. I think it is so important. For organizations to embrace it because it's really what you use to share knowledge with everybody else. And I'm going to talk specifically about human-centric knowledge management, not not computers, not robotic process automation, not um, not anything that you need Trons to do. You can do these, like we do continuous improvement projects with post-its, with pen and paper, and brainstorming. So you know the presentation you know is a mouthful. I've never been good with, with keeping titles short. So, you know, it's no surprise this one's pretty long, you know, especially when you got knowledge management and continuous improvement forwards already. Um, but, you know, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a bunch of slides. We're going to talk about what, you know, different, different methods as well as some tools that are in there that you can use that you don't have to learn what they do. I'm just going to talk to you about how you use them in knowledge with knowledge management and in knowledge management to support your continuous improvement efforts because it's so important that we don't want to spend extra time and extra money to get somebody to be able to do something better. We want to be able to work with what we have 
and then move on from there once we've, once we've come to a solution or a proposed solution. All right, so these are our objectives. And like I said, I want to talk, talk to you about most useful common methods available in knowledge management. And so there are no knowledge management methods specifically. These are all methods you've seen elsewhere. And you know, we're going to talk about how, the, how they work in process improvement and quality and project management, just overall problem solving, because knowledge management should make you a better problem solver because you're integrating with other teams, other people and sharing what you know and learning what they know. And then finally, we're going to talk about how these can support standardization because, you know, why, why have 10 different processes when you can standardize a process and make it work? So we're going to talk about that. So these are some of the most common and useful methods to support knowledge management. And I'm not going to read the list to you, but I will point out a couple. And let me first tell you, knowledge management in my world, because there's over 100 definitions of knowledge management. The way I use knowledge management is it's what you do with the information from you know, what you have, what other people have, or what the systems that you use tell you. And knowing what to do with that is what makes it powerful and how you can use for problem solving, as well as all the other things I was talking about, project management, standardization, process improvement. You know, so you'll see everything in here is probably very common to what you use on a daily basis. Uh, I will say battle rhythm is something that I gained when I was in the military. You know, we use these, you know, it just means an order that you do things, an order that you have meetings so that you can come with solutions rather than problems to newer meetings or give updates. And then the other one that I really enjoy is in the mapping is mind mapping. And I will talk more about that. Um, it's my favorite thing to do, and I've used Post-its to do that as well. But you can use stuff that's already in your in your computer. You know, you, Visio and PowerPoint. You can both use those. So let's get started, and we're going to go through each one of these. Then I have a couple things at the end. They're not really bonus material, but they're just extras I thought about. So you know, we use checklists and check sheets all the time, and you know. For, for those who may be new to process improvement, you know, checklists and check sheets are two different things. And I will tell you, when I first started off with ASQ, um, you know, I was, I was in ASQ since about 2010, and I used to mix these up all the time, checklists and check sheets. To me, it was all just a way to keep track of things. But checklists, you know, they're a way of supporting doing things. So I use them to not forget things. You know, that's why I put grocery lists and packing lists, because those are two types of lists I use more than anything else. You know, if I don't have a grocery list on my phone, I forget to buy something. And same thing with packing. I end up having to go to a store somewhere else. And like I was telling Mark before we started, is I'm going to London. So I've already started my packing list to go to London, including my passport and my ID and my, my extra wallet, you know, because you've got to be safe, you know, when traveling anywhere, especially when you travel on a plane. You know, there's just all sorts of things. So the packing list and the grocery list are, are good checklists. But check sheets, we used to use these all the time. When, when we're doing oil oil readings to figure out, you know, what type of temperatures we have, you know, because we use those for observations um, and you want to document your results. So if you think about it, if you go shopping and you go shopping my favorite place in the world, which is Target, um, you go in there in the bathroom and they have a check sheet where you walk in and, you know, so you know what, what the restroom cleaning time is. And the reason this is important, and you'll see this on the sides, is that, you know, it's important because 
it provides a forceful backup for processes. And what I mean by that is it gives you back, oh, well, what were you doing? And did you do this? Well, yeah, here it is on my checklist or on my check sheet. I did this. And, oh, did you remember this? Yes, I remembered it. I checked it off my checklist. And that's just simple knowledge management is being able to show somebody, yes, this is where you can go to acquire whether or not this was done. You know, without having to track somebody down, it makes it where it's a little more flexible in your workspace. Because if you have a checklist on how to, how to do something or to not forget to do something, or you have a check sheet on a process, this is going to enable you to share knowledge without having to get up and go find somebody. You can just go to it. And if you keep it on you know, a computer somewhere, that's fine. But piece of paper stuck to a door, that's okay too. So I'm going to go to the next one. Um, lesson learned. I'm sorry, i got to move this. Uh, I'm sharing it, so I have a hard time seeing some of my titles. Um, so, you know, reporting and lesson learned after action reviews. You know, if, if you haven't done a lessons learned review before you start a project, I, I submit that you're doing it wrong. I think that you need to review all lessons learned prior to doing it. It's not just about writing them up afterwards. Because if, if you were to start a project and somebody else is already doing the same project, well, you're not learning anything before you start. You're relearning your lesson at the end. And so if you if you create a report or a lesson learned, you know, then you know, these are great. But if you post them on a SharePoint portal, they're not going to do any good. What you have to do is you have to make sure other people are aware of them. So when we start projects, part of you know, part of what we do, not at CJ on consulting, but at my company, the company I work for. You know, we get people say, hey, what were the problems you had before? You know, when you taught this student, you know, what kind of feedback did you get? And so we all look at that as, you know, not not taking up a lot of time, but, you know, prevent ourselves from having to redo work later. And, you know, so when you're sharing this knowledge of what happened and what the customer wanted, because that's really what it gets down to is the customer's feedback is, is that it helps you to make stuff better later. And so if you do this before you start a project rather than after, you know, when you're just reporting rather than saying, okay, what can bite me, then it's going to save you a lot of time and it's going to cut down on your rework. And eventually it might make your process really short because you've gotten all these lessons learned and it's really working for you. Now, as for act, after action reviews, those are a little bit different than lessons learned. So we would have a lessons learned review. And then after action reviews and people are like, aren't they the same thing? You're like, no, an after action review is when you get together and you go over, you know, your costs and what things were problems. So you can report them up the chain. You're not reporting them to somebody who's working on a similar project. A lot of times we find that these are more senior led meetings and you're briefing seniors. You're not necessarily briefing somebody who's going put to put to use the knowledge that you have. So, you know, again, they provide forceful backup. And forceful backup, you know, I apologize to anybody who doesn't understand what that is, but to me, that's making sure that you have you have a buddy that backs you up or you have something in place to back you up that if you're not there, somebody else has heard, the, heard it before. So in two weeks, if you go to do a project, you know, you could remember me saying it or you can remember somebody else saying, well, hey, we had this problem. And you can have that solution ready to go. So mapping. Okay. So these types of maps, 
I love mapping. And like I said, I love mind mapping the most, but we have process mapping, knowledge mapping, and mind mapping. And they're all three different things. So you can see here, process mapping shows how something's done. It documents the processes. And so when you have a standard uh, business process management system, you may have processes written out, how you, how you um, set your travel up, what you have to do to onboard somebody, you know, how you request financing for tuition assistance. Those are all process maps you may see drawn out because reading a page is a little bit overwhelming sometimes. A knowledge mapping shows relationships between people. And I have an example on the next slide that shows, you know, if you have a, a organizational structure or if you have a team and you build it, you know, this is, this is who I report to, this is who somebody else reports to, and this is how we interact in between. That's knowledge mapping. And then my mapping, in this is a great way to illustrate how brainstorming works. You know, we use affinity charts sometimes for brainstorming, but mind mapping, I think, is a lot more fun, actually, than, um, than any other type of mapping. So, you know, just know that it's visual reference. You know, you can do, you can use any, there's really no rule set for mind mapping, quite honestly, other than start in the middle with, this, with, a, with an object or with an idea or customer. And then branch on out. And I'll talk to you about why they're branches in a second. So these are, you know, three types. I just put the red dot lines. You know, the information there is not really that important. But what it is is that you have three types of maps here. The process map. Everybody on this call is probably familiar with this. You know, we do process maps. We have to do swim lanes. Um, and so these processes, you know, start to finish. And then all the decisions you have to make in between to get to the finish. And so when you drop a process map, this helps you to understand the process better and you can gain knowledge from other people as you're building it, saying, well, what kind of decisions would they have to make in order to make this happen? Because normally people dra drafting it up at the final stages are the same people that are conducting the process. And then knowledge mapping. This is an example of a, a project team. You know, it's very simple, you know, who you have in there and where you fit in there. So you want to put where you fit in there just so that you know where, what your relationship is with the other other shifts in this. And so all this is doing is just showing you, you know, where you fit in the, in the big scheme. So a knowledge map, you know, it becomes a knowledge map when you can pair, you know, what people do. So if you're looking at the mid-shift and you see team member one, you can say, oh, okay, i got to go find out what they do. And you find out, well, they're the expert at doing this on their on their shift. And then you find out everybody who's member number one is the expert on that team. And then the team leads, they all have responsibilities. But then you see your counterparts on the other teams, team, you know, member number two, and you can go ask them, hey, what kind of things do you need? What kind of things do I need to make sure I pass down to you for your shift? And what kind of things do you use to make sure that everything goes well? And it, so as you populate this, you look at the business analysts and logistics POC, and you can put down what they are, what they're important, you know, how that relates to what you do. And so all this is important because you can capture knowledge as, as easily as this for what your team does. And you don't need a whole bunch of pages individually for what people do. Now, finally, mind mapping, which I'll say again, is my favorite because you can do any design you want. I just took a screenshot off the internet for this and it is you know there's a page where it tells you where to go to um 
you know, later on, but I think it's hidden. Um, but this is a real simple mind map, and it branches off, and then each branch has another branch. And that's why we, you know, you can you can do it like a tree. And so some of these will look like trees. If you go on the internet and you search mind mapping, you'll see all sorts of all sorts of different styles of mind mapping. Some have curves, some have straight lines, some are actual trees. But what's important is that you start off with a single object. In this case, it's animal. And so they're talking about different types of animals. They have mammals, fish, and insects. And then you further branch off into what types of mammals, what types of fish, what types of insects. And so I've used this in business development. Um, you can use this in HR for knowledge, skills, and abilities. You can use this for, you know, if you want to improve on something, uh, you know, just go through your ideas. And this is where you can take your explicit and your tacit knowledge. The explicit knowledge is knowledge that's well codified, it's written. The tacit knowledge is knowledge based on your experience. And so you get people together and everybody's going to have their ideas. And so you, you, can come, you can come together and combine these all in a mind map. And you can make it as simple or as complex as, as you want. And some mind mapping, there's some software out there that allows you to link them together. So you can have one mind map that leads into multiple mind maps. So if you're looking at organization, you can have one for your area of continuous improvement, or you might have one area for knowledge management, and you can join them. You know, but you know, I've I've seen videos on YouTube where people use these to take notes for a class. So there's this is why it's my favorite because you can do anything you want with it. You can also use different colored post-it notes. It's a very easy process to use, and if if you want to use a computer, you can use PowerPoint, or you can use Microsoft Visio and just go to the brainstorming um, legends because that is, that's where you'll find your ability to mind map on there. So I really enjoy it. Yeah, I can go on and on and on about mind mapping. Excuse me. So community is a practice. Community is a practice is the next thing. And it's all about people who get together, who have similar goals and similar interests. So if you have, I don't know, say my, my sister, she's big into coupon clipping. A community practice of coupon clippers may be people who share the sales and know where to find the best coupons. You know, you in your organization, you may have community practice, but you may not know that they're called community practice because they may be called something else, like a, a employee research group or employee um, resource group. That is a type of community practice. There are people who are there to do talk about the same kinds of, of concerns. You may have a mentoring group. You may have a, um, I don't know, a veterans group, you know, stuff like that. And, but you also have other groups. Um, so my, my last job, when I was a knowledge manager on a contract for a few years, we had different, different groups of community practice. We had a maintenance one. We had a modernization one. We had a financial one. So we had all these different Community practice that they shared information with each other and shared knowledge of how they fixed things, what they did to improve something, if they had to have a different process in place, any projects they're working on. You know, because they all had the same boss in the end. They were all subordinate commands. They had to report to a senior command and make these reports, but they had the same tasks, but just different ships. So community practice is they're very valuable because they don't cost a lot of money to do. You just just take some time on your on your work, and so you can have them meet like we had to meet twice a month, 
And so what we had them do is we had an agenda. They came together and they just shared what they knew. They shared what went wrong. They shared what went right. And I just, I took, I took minutes. That was part of my job. It took minutes for the meeting and I would post them, but I would also email them out and then call the individuals if anybody had anything to do. So it all wrapped up into a report at the end of the month. But, you know, we also had a lead for the community practice. I had a government lead for each of the communities of practice I was supporting because I was supporting two. At one time, I was supporting three. And so these communities of practice, you, know, you have to have a government person in charge on these contracts. Just a rule. I didn't, I didn't make it. But we had communities of practice, and these government people would, would talk to each other as well. So we had a meeting once a year. And, again, that's a bigger community of practice. It's just about talking. And it didn't require any special technology to do so. Just get on a phone call and talk just like we are right now. So these are important, again, because they give a community or they give an organization a way to share efforts, to share what they're doing and share what problems they're having as well as solutions. Um, we did have one community practice. We actually did a value stream mapping event. And that brought up a lot of, a lot of knowledge. And so we mapped that out on a value stream. And that worked out pretty well. So it enabled us to move on and make improvements. And the community's practice are still, according to the person I used to work for, they're still going really well. So, all right. And Kanban. All right. Kanban, I, I had a, I gave a presentation a few years ago about Baby's First Kanban because I have friends of mine and I've taught classes and project management and use Kanban in that. And they're like, well, what is Kanban? And I was like, well, it's to do, doing, and done. And they're like, well, what is that really? So I talked about Baby's First Kanban. And so Baby's First Kanban is, you know, if you have children, you're probably well aware of putting up a chart and giving people, giving your children stars or a check mark or, you know, even a piece of, of candy or a game for doing, doing a task or doing something really well. And this is just a way of tracking it. So you know, that seemed, that seemed pretty easy to explain to somebody. Well, what does is, you know, you have these different parts of your, of your business that you're, you're doing a process for. And so you're looking at the status of everything. And what it does is it enables people to be able to go to this Kanban and understand what it is that their process is in. Oh, do I need to add more resources to it? You know, and ask questions. Why, you know, how many more friends are you going to invite? Um, what what kind of things do I need to do to be able to leave early to take my, my dog to the vet? And you know, those kind of things, you know, they, they enable you to ask questions. And then from there, you can gain what you need to do to be able to, to carry on, to be able to go to the next process. And eventually, you'll see the status so, so much that you'll be able to talk to your team and understand what's going on with that and be able to move it all to the done pile. And in the end, that's really what our bosses care about. You know, are, are you making progress? Do you need help? Do you need resources? What kind of processes are you using? And are you, when are you going to be done? Because they're going to have other tasking for you. And so, you know, you know like I said, it's, it's instant. It gives you a status update. And in these words, instant overview of the workflow process. You know, anyone can understand you know, if, if I'm working a project and our IT guys come to ask me what's going on, rather than me having to sit down and explain everything, they can just look at the board and they can see, okay, well, 
you know, Cindy's at this point in the process, I can't do my updates to her system because she needs to use it. And that's, that's as quickly as, you know, the conversation needs to be. I don't need to sit there and give a long drawn out conversation about, or a long drawn explanation about why I need the system. They just know I need it. And they know that, you know, it's a, it's a good, good scheduling tool too, because while there's no schedule on there, you can, you know, using the knowledge that you have on the system, know that I'm going to be on there an hour. I'm going to be on there two hours. And so, you know, that's, that's why I like Kanban for knowledge management as well, because you don't have to pull somebody aside and pull them away from what they're doing to explain to them what is it you're doing and where your process is stuck or where it's moving. Okay, gamification. And I challenge anybody in here who doesn't know what gamification is, I'm going to ask you, have you been to a Starbucks? Have you been on an airline? You know, do you make your decisions on what airline you fly based on how many miles you get and how many points you get? That's all gamification is. Gamification is using non-games, you know, using gaming ideas to reach an end. So Starbucks, they want to get more customers in, just like any other coffee place. And that's just one I frequent. And they they give me stars. And I love Double Star Day because I get more stars for buying something than I do on another day where I only get two stars. I'll get four stars for a dollar. And yes, it's ridiculous to spend that much money on coffee, but I do that when I go into the office. And when I get my stars, every 400 stars, I can get a $20 product. So it's even better for me. But that's gamification. Same thing with the airlines. When you're flying on an airline, and you know, I'll choose an airline based on where my flight miles, if I can get, if I can get a discount on my, my flights, or if I can upgrade a real, you know, for free, I'll do that. And that's all gamification. So, you know, games, like in this example, rewarding users for achievements, leveling up, earning badges. You know, there are some companies that have like their fitness program. If they, if you have a company that has a fitness program, it's great. And, you know, you'll get, you'll get points on my iWatch. I get points for, you know, if I walk a certain amount of steps, I'll get a little badge and it doesn't do anything for me monetarily, but that, that gives me a little thumbs up. Hey, I'm doing a great job. So, you know, gamification is really helpful. Um, I did see something yesterday that kind of worries me as I went to fill up my gas tank at 7-Eleven and they have the little sticker that says, you know, no, no cell phones because, you know, it, it, it can possibly set something on fire, you know, all those rules. But on the right hand side of the gas pump, it has, hey, scan this QR code and get in to get 11 cents off a gallon for the first seven times you fill up. Yeah, I don't think that's what they meant to do with that, but that's gamification there. They're trying to get your business. You know, so with this, knowledge is shared between employees and teams because when you're working to make make money, if you get a um, a bonus because people buy so much from your store, you're going to push these games. Um, if if your team is competing against another team, a sales team, and you say, okay, if I sell so many of these, uh, you know, our, we have a company out here who's selling um, air handlers, and you get a heat pump or something like that for a big discount, but you have to buy it with it. And that's gamification. It's not, not very clever, but it's, it's basic gamification. Um, but just know that, you know, anything that influences you to buy something because you get a bonus of some sort, that's a gamification um, area. 
And I bet you you'll remember it and you'll pass on to your friends that you went to get coffee and you got more points or you got more stars. Okay, so we're getting the home stretch here. Um, battle rhythms. Okay, like I said before, battle rhythms are one meeting that, that supports another meeting. And so in the military, we call them battle rhythms. And I know in the Navy for sure, but I don't know about Marines and Army and Air Force, but I'm pretty certain we all have the same terminology when it comes to supporting meetings. Um, but, but, you know, it doesn't make sense if you have, if you go to one meeting and you make a decision and it doesn't support the next guy, then you end up not being able to do what you need to do to support the boss, but you also don't get the responses you need. So I have an example in here of a financial meeting. So, you know, on Tuesday, business analysts, they meet with their project managers to review the spending. And then on Wednesday, the business analysts have to meet with the, with the program managers um, who meet with their directors uh, to talk about what happened at the Tuesday meeting, say where they, where they sit. And then that allows them on Thursday to, for their the project managers and directors to meet with finance. So, you know, the business analysts, they have all the details. So they go to their meetings, and this is just a battle with them. Um, you know, so they, they are passing up to their boss what they have, and it gives their boss time to figure out, okay, maybe this is not working for us. Maybe we need to either slow down how much we're spending or make things work a lot more smoothly or get with our people earlier before we say, okay, you can, you can have this extra resource. Because on that Thursday, they're going to have to go to their boss and, you know, go to finance with their boss and explain to their boss and finance why they're spending so much money or why they're needing more money. And just battle with them is allow you to share the knowledge between, you know, the whole decision chain in order to make it smoother. So, you know, they, they look at the schedule events, you know, when you're scheduling out every week, you know, we had, we had a weekly team meeting on our ships and in person, um, you know, at our company now we have you know, every month we have a meeting every Monday we have a meeting and then we move it during the week. We'll have meetings with, um, direct reports at our company to make sure that, that whatever's going on gets down to the people, not only why, you know, what's, what needs to be done, it's why it needs to be done, why it's important, why, what's in it for them, why does it affect them, why is it important. So these are the, the KM methods with special areas. And, you know, process improvement, you know, we know knowledge sharing is, is important, it supports learning opportunities. We want to make a process better what do we do? We talk to people. We don't, we, you know, if we go into the data, but the data is, data is what creates information. Information is what creates knowledge. And when you have other people that are used to what they're doing and talking to other people, they get a better idea of what the whole process brings and they can make it better. They can, they can start thinking and think, what can I do? You know, what, what, what ifs, what if I do this? Will this make it smoother? Will this make it quicker? You know, we'll make it better or we'll make it worse. And they can go through all that. You know, project management, you know, we have this thing in project management called the Pinbot Guide. And it's it's just a basic basic document about the perfect world of project management. It doesn't take into account stakeholders changing their minds as much as it does, just giving you a basic rule set to start. And knowledge management is part of the Pinbot Guide. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to give my feedback, my two cents as it is, to the PMBOK the last two years, and along with a couple other hundred people. 
and just so you know, anybody can do it. Anybody can have input in it if they're if they're involved in PMI. And you know, knowledge management, the area has grown. There used to be 10, 10 knowledge areas in project management. You know, risk, communication, stakeholders. You know, lessons learned was a big part. Um, but you know, just no knowledge management in project management formally, just like it is in quality. In in ISO 9001-2018, it was the new clause 716. It's only about this big. I think that's about as much, maybe the big, not not too big in the text-wise. But you know, now organizations in order to qualify, you know, with their QMS, they have to acknowledge that their knowledge is is well where it's put in place, but people also use it. They have to they have to show that it's accessible and that, you know, it's it's used. It's not just given lip service and put in there. Um, you know, so it's it affects your your ability to get a certification. Now there is an ISO nine thousand one or ISO fourteen zero I can't remember the name number right now. Now that I'm trying to remember it. But it's called knowledge management systems. And it's it's all about knowledge management. It's not a requirement to be certified in it, but it is part of the ISO family. Now, it's 3401. Sorry, 3401 is ISO um, for for this knowledge management systems. And so just know it's not a requirement. It's not a certification requirement, but it does help your teams understand which organization does overall as a bigger as a bigger picture. And it does help organization overall problem solving in your organization. Because we don't go to work to, you know, just say, let's do what we do same day every day. We look to make it better. And part of process improvement is problem solving. We want to make things better. Well, it may not be called a problem, but it might become a problem if we don't look at it now. Right. So we want to support standardization. And one of the biggest standardized things I've used as I was growing up was the Dewey Decimal System. And you know, those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, when we went to the library, we didn't have Google. We didn't have, we didn't even have computers for the most part. Um, but Dewey Decimal System was our bread and butter. We had, it was categorized. We knew if we had to go into a section that we, I would go to the librarian. I, I tell you, librarians are the best knowledge managers because they have order built into them. And they have order built into what they're doing. So it helps them to locate stuff. And having findability is important. Um, so, you know, it can be used, you know, standardization supports everything we do, you know, whether we whether we want to or not, want to realize it or not. But you can find standardization in, you know, when we process implementation or when we do, when we build standard work items. Um, you know, even though I work in a, in a job where I don't have a standard work item, I have requirements I have to meet. And I have a standard way of doing it. So, you know, if, if I ever get promoted in this job, I'm going to have a plan in place to be able to pass down the right knowledge to my, my relief. And that is going to be set. It's going to be a standard way. You know, okay, so I do daily, so I do weekly, so I do monthly. So like the customer requirements, you know, so think standardization. When you think of it, think of do a decimal system if you're trying to describe it to somebody because it's probably the most, um, most easily understood to people who go in libraries a lot. You know, when you're online, it's easy to Google search, but, you know, finding a book in a bookstore, now they're categorized, but they don't necessarily use due decimal system. So it's, it's all good. All right. So this is, 
you know, what I wanted you to take away from that. Just know that in knowledge management, you know, again, it's all about the, the information you have and knowing what to do with it, you know, how it affects what you're doing, how, how it can improve your processes, how it can, you know, make knowledge sharing easier, how you can make things better. But there's nothing special about the methods. You're using methods that were already used in project management or using process improvement and continuous improvement. You know, just knowing those is going to save you so much time. Um, no, again, there's no standalone processes. So if you say knowledge management is special, I say it's special just because it's knowledge management, but it's not special as in, you know, how you do business. You just got to be open to sharing knowledge, letting your team know what's going on, being able to transfer it and to capture it, find it. It's, that's really what's big. And then managing knowledge is critical. It's critical supporting the change, standardization, and procedural compliance because that's pretty important when it comes to, you know, making sure you're, you're in line with the legal requirements as well as, you know, safety. So knowledge management, I think I see it everywhere. It, I can't get away from it, and I love it, and I hope you love it too. Um, I, that's all I really have for you. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, sharing this with you, and as you can tell, I do love knowledge management. Starbucks and um, just about everything about mind mapping. Thank you. Well, Cindy, thank you. And um, we'll encourage people to continue submitting questions. You can see Cindy's contact information. That'll be back up on screen in a slightly different form, Mm -hmm. managing the knowledge of how to find and reach (laughs) Cindy. That QR code um, that goes to her LinkedIn profile will also be up on the final Q&A screen. But before we go in the Q&A, just want to make a few quick announcements, if you can, next slide. Upcoming webinars, um, these are a monthly series. Um, next webinar is going to be a shift from knowledge management to knowledge workers. And in some ways, we're all knowledge workers these days, but um, the presentation is going to be titled Lean for Knowledge Workers, March 9th, uh, presented by Kim Mascarda. Now, uh, regular attendees will want to note there's a special time here instead of 1 p.m. Eastern, which is our typical standard time. This webinar is going to be at 11 a.m. Eastern because Kim will be joining us from Australia, where I believe it will be midnight his time. So midnight better than uh, 2 a.m. Uh, for Kim. So we'll look forward to that webinar. You can register for it today if you go to kinexus.com slash webinar. Scroll down a little bit past the information about Cindy's webinar today also invite you to check out the webinar on-demand library, and you can find that at uh, the same page, uh, kinexus.com slash webinars. There's a link to that. That's okay. All right, next slide, please. Uh, We have a blog. We actually have two blogs. If you go to blog.kinexus.com, if you click on the header, there's what we call the improvement blog, which is on themes related to improvement, and anybody and everybody is welcome to read. There's also a tab uh, that is what we call the customer blog, which is more about new Kinexus software features and announcements and things like that. You're free to read it. It might not mean as much to you if you're not a customer, but um, check those out. And the most recent blog post on there, really good post by a new Kinexus team member, Austin Lim, who kind of turned this phrase, you know, don't ask me, that's not my job. He kind of turns that upside down. Um, It's a really clever, thought-provoking post on the role of leaders. So again, go to blog.kinexus.com for that. Next slide. Uh, We have a podcast. 
You can find that at kinexus.com slash podcast. You can find us in all the major apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, which is the favorite podcast app of our CEO, Greg Jacobson. I've been using Overcast a lot recently. Um, his his pro tip is you can listen to the podcast at like 1.5x speed if you want. <laughs> Your brain can absorb that uh, flow of knowledge. The audio from today's webinar will be available in the podcast feed as well. Later today, if you want to revisit this or um, share the audio with people, the video recording will also be available, of course, on our YouTube channel as well. And if you can advance it. Okay, so here we go. Q&A slide. Um, Cindy's email address, web address, QR code um, to go over to LinkedIn. And with that, we've got a good amount of time for questions and uh, discussion and conversation. So again, please submit those questions via the Q&A box, not the chat. People are following that standard. Well, a couple of thank yous um, in the chat. And so we've got a couple of questions on uh, gamification, Cindy. Um, first, uh, we have a question here. How can you gamify your hospital's process to prepare teams for accreditation. Now, I, I don't know. Have, have you had a chance to work in healthcare, Cindy? I don't know if this is. I have. I have not. But um, but if I, if I had to think about it, I would probably probably look and see, you know, based on progress of somebody working through certifications, you know, if they can deliver a training to a team, you know, g give them points based on how they trained a team and maybe award them. I don't know if it's not cheesy to say, bought by a, set, a stethoscope to whoever did the best training. Throughout the time period, right. Well, it, so it's it's a clarify. It's not certification. It's accreditation. So let's say okay. the Joint Commission, or this would be very similar. Let me ask the question this way: um, Think of it as like an ISO nine thousand okay. accreditation visit. Do you have thoughts on how you can try to gamify that? Um, you know, I I think I would just look and see. You know, break it down into parts and see if if we can all achieve. You know something simple like when we compete for business you know i know it sounds you know simple but we usually do like a pizza party or something with with food at the end of it you know hey if we can if we can achieve accreditation by this by best time you know or with this amount of of i don't know what to call um um not marks or whatever you know where they say that these are areas you need to improve upon sure Deficiencies. Or yeah, that's it. That's a deficiency. So if you if you have no deficiencies, you know we're going to do this, or they may even want to gamify it with a, a bonus, you know, a monetary bonus to the team. And if anyone in the audience um, works in healthcare and, and has thoughts about um, gamifying accreditation preparation, you can put something in the chat about that as well. Um, another question, just more generally about gamification, Cindy, are there Times or situations you can think of where gamification gamification might backfire. Um, I yeah, I, I think I think it backfires if you need a team to do something and you have it individually and they are holding back on knowledge that they have mm -hmm. that will prevent something from going wrong. And I'm I'm talking safety or anything. I'm talking about a process. If somebody has to do something and they forget to do a step, but somebody there knows that they're gonna win. Or they're going to come out on top if somebody else doesn't do as well, but what they're doing is really affecting the whole team. So I think that they that that's nothing you should gamify. Yeah, so we, we don't want to set up incentives or things that would somehow 
um, put individual rewards over what the team's trying to right. accomplish. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, another question here, thinking back to earlier in your presentation, when you talked about different types of mapping, um, we had a question here about incorporating, or if you could elaborate, you know, these different types of mapping and PDCA cycles. Are they similar concepts? Are there differences? How, how would those types of maps fit into PDCA cycles? Well, I'm going to use my favorite one, which is my mapping, and talk about PDCA. So uh, planning, okay, for mapping, I want to, I want to, um, so I'm going to use this for business development. I'm going to want to say that, hey, I want to come up with, with ideas of who the best person is to contact out of this. So I'm going to, I'm going to go through my due diligence and talk to people and research online, figure out who is, who's experienced with this customer. And then from that, I'm going to I'm go and bounce things off of people. Say, hey, does this make sense? Is this person still there? Um, is this contract still, you know, available to people? And then once once I'm, you know, good to go, I'm going to write the proposal, which is ACT. And then, you know, when it comes back to me and says that, you know, whether or not I've won the contract, then that starts to plan again. So I'm either going to plan to succeed next time because I failed or I'm going to plan to win it recompete. So that that's just how I see Plan to Check Act for my mapping. Okay. Thanks, Cindy. Um, there was a comment in the chat back to that other question about gamification and hospital accreditation. Uh, Suzanne commented or suggested, you could create an internal deadline for accreditation and give points to each department who reaches the targets. You could give prizes to the top three departments to those. those yeah, I don't know, your, your thoughts or reactions to that, Cindy? No, I think, good I think that's good. Yeah, I think that's really good. You know, as as long as it doesn't negatively affect somebody, some other team by by you achieving something, as long as no one's holding back something that helps the other team be successful as well. Okay. And as you can tell, I'm really big on the team concept here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's another question here, um, going back to lessons learned, and I actually I had a question related to that too. So we're going to go back to the very beginning of the presentation. Sure. I think about lessons learned. Um, Stephanie says, I love the practice of reviewing lessons learned at the start of projects. Other than hoping that people do this, how do you standardize this into team practices? Oh, I, I just make it a requirement. Um, when I was on my ship, you know, long time ago, like 15 years ago, I was on a ship and I'd make, a, it was a requirement for my teams. Every time we did a gun shoot, it was a requirement for them to get together and talk to other people about what they what they had happen with the gun and with the equipment mm. and the same thing when we pulled into a port we were required we were required by by our by our xo and our co to go into the database because database was kind of iffy whether or not have what we need but we had to look and see what ports we were visiting in order to write up our report of how we were going to protect our sailors as we left the ship so if you if you put it in your process as in its requirement then, you know, I don't see how, how that can be a bad thing. You know, it doesn't take very long to go back and talk to people as well. And I, I could see building a prompt like that into, let's say, a Six Sigma project charter or even an A3 template if you're using A3s um, to plan and track uh, a project. Um, I, I really like that idea. It's just more broadly of not only reviewing lessons learned from that project at the end of that project. Yeah. But I love the idea 
of starting a project by reviewing lessons learned from other initiatives. That seems like that could be a very helpful practice. Yeah. And, and something else is that, you know, as you're learning things, don't forget to talk to people while you're working your project too, mm -hmm. because there can be somebody else working on a very similar project as you are. And you could save them a lot of pain. You could save your company a lot of money and time if you share your stuff as you're going. So yeah, to document those and to share those and, and people who are using Kinexus would be documenting things like that as they're working um, their A3s or their improvement projects that might be uh, tracked in Kinexus. One other question, going back to lessons learned, um, I was wondering if you could elaborate or give a little bit more detail around the difference between lessons learned and after action reviews. What I heard you say, and correct me if I was wrong, is that lessons learned discussion is for the team after action review is more for reporting up the leadership chain. Is that correct? Well, yeah, that, that's kind of how, how it's seen, but you know, with knowledge management, when you're doing lessons learned, it's, it's helping people to realize what deficiency you had as well as what successes you had and how you achieved them. Whereas an after action review is more, um, more based on how much, how much time did it take and, you know, what, what did we do to, to maybe speed up or what happened to slow us down? What, what resources do we need? You know, did it work out like we planned when we did our kickoff? And then, you know, just overall, what is the customer saying? Because mm -hmm. sometimes in these after actions, you know, you may do them with the customer or without the customer. And when you do them with the customer, you never know what they're going to say. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, just got to be able to, to take action from that, too. Yeah. Get the voice of the customer and, and better yet, if... Um you learn something new rather than guessing yeah. what the customer thinks, go and ask them. Yeah. And I always recommend briefing the briefing, your senior chain, change, chain of command before you talk to the customer. That way your chain of command is not caught off guard. Yeah. So another question that came in here, uh, Yvonne asks, says timing is everything. Sometimes an idea fails because it's just not the right time. Revisiting old ideas can be valuable. Do you have a process idea for prompting that? Um, I don't really have an idea for that, but if, but if I had to come up with one right now, I would say just continually talk to your team because sometimes the person they're complaining all the time, you'll realize maybe their idea wasn't so bad. Maybe their idea, their idea was okay. If you tweak a little bit, you know, and when you get them to buy into it, it's, they're more apt to talk to you more. Mm -hmm. And I'll add a couple of thoughts here. I mean, one, I think in the lean practice of, strategy deployment, or sometimes referred to as Hoshin Conry. When you're looking at key initiatives and you're trying to prioritize and make sure you're not exceeding improvement capacity on those big initiatives, it's not just a matter of yes, no, approve, reject. You often have yes, no, not now as three broad categories. And you could track that on a Kanban board as an organization. Um, you can um, track those in different ways. And, and I'll mention just one other use for Kinexus is when we're evaluating a, pr a proposed improvement, there is literally a way of, of sort of closing it out for now and saying, you know, it's just not a priority at this time. And then better yet, you can set a flag to automatically remind yourself after three months or after six months. And so there is a little bit of automation that people can use um, within Kinexus. We had a comment um, in the chat from um, Stephanie, we've incorporated that into Kinexus. So I think you mean the 
the not now, the yes, no, not now. So maybe Stephanie will add another. Um, okay, she says yes. So it's a great, great use of that practice and um, especially doing that in Kinexus. Another question here uh, from Michael, he asks, or he says, first, I'm planning an upcoming staff training on visual management. The focus would be on individual work boards or build your own Kanban, as you showed us. Are there other visual management tools, especially geared toward the individual, that you would recommend weaving in for just kind of general workplace audiences? Is, is Kanban enough or what, what other visual management tools would you also use? Well, I sometimes I like to use knowledge, knowledge maps because you can categorize things. And then as you come up with the different ideas, you can you can do, you know, do a little, not branches, but the lines and add on your extra boxes. Instead of having a org chart, you could do it based on your workload. And so that helps people to be able to, because when people see things and they go check them off, they're, they're more apt to look at that like, you know, hey, look, I've done all this. And, you know, not only are they using it, but they're showing it to other people without saying, hey, look at me, look at me, you know, they can have it posted and that might encourage them to, to work more towards that or to have conversations about, oh, well, I've done that before. I can, you know, this is what I did. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Cindy. Um, two questions related to software solutions or databases. I'll sort of try to combine it into a question. Um, so the first person said, I would like to set up a knowledge management database within my company, a consulting firm. What should I take into account setting this up? I'm especially curious about setting quality standards and keeping the database up to date. And, and I'll add first before bouncing it over to you, Cindy. Um, you know, Kinexus can be, not to belabor the point, but our software can be used uh, for purposes like that if you don't want to build something per se. But I think it's a great question, even for current Kinexus customers or people who are going to do their own thing, Cindy. Quality standards, keeping the database up to date. What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, first, you know, if you're going to be using, like, I kind of joke that our SharePoint portal at work is a bunch of stuff people put there. They don't know where else to put it. Mm -hmm. um, so what I what I recommend is that as far as knowledge management goes, is you put a date, have a date structure. And when I put dates on my documents, I always put, like today I put, 2022-0210, if today's the 10th, which I think it is. Um, so I always put that, and I put an underscore, and then I put, if it's, if it's my document, I put my name. If it's a project document, put the project name. And second thing is you got to make it findable. So you have to have whatever your documents are, they have to be findable to people. So understand what key search words they're going to use to find something if they don't know where to look. And third, got to have somebody responsible we're going through there and getting rid of the junk or getting rid of mm -hmm. stuff that's outdated. Um, you don't want to keep draft material there unless it's specifically marked as a draft area so people can go and check out documents. And that's, that's another one too. Make sure you do a check-in, check-out process because otherwise you'll have several people work on the same document and then saving their changes over somebody else's. So you're going to want to go back and also clean it up every now and then. So with every database, you need to go in and decide you know, how how recent are you going to look for documents or are you going to look for versions and use a version number and a date number on your documents. But, you know, out of all that, I think findability is important and people having access to it is important. Yeah. 
So maybe one final question for you, Cindy, and, and this might serve as a bit of a preview of the podcast episode that we did together a couple of weeks back in the Lean Blog Interviews podcast. Um, and we'll share a link to that in the follow-up email. A lot of times people say things like, you know, knowledge is power. And they they want to hoard information. They, they, they think their value to the organization would be defined as, you know, what they know. I'm the only one who knows it. People have to come to me. That gives me job security. But you've written, as we talked about in the episode, that knowledge sharing is actually good for your career. Can you kind of give us the, the synopsis of why yeah. that is? Yeah, knowledge sharing is good because you don't come off as selfish. Uh, you know, first of all, you don't want somebody on your team that's selfish and that you know is going to hold back what you need to succeed as a team. And your professional growth may be contingent on that. Uh, it, it's also important because people see you as promotable. They see you as being able to move up because you know you're not, you don't have all the knowledge of yourself. You haven't been selfish. You haven't kept it all and taught nobody else how to do your job because one day you get hit by a bus. Or something can happen like COVID where you can't go to work and you may not be able to use a computer to do your job. I can't use my computer to do my job 100% of the time because I work in a lab and I have to go to this lab and do all the work in there. So I have to have somebody else that knows what they're doing to be able to do that in my absence. Um, So, you know, just just know that, oh, yeah, you got it. Knowledge sharing is so important. I I hate knowledge hoarding. I think it's, it's selfish and it really hurts the team in general. Well, Cindy, thank you for your thoughts on that. And um, the the full podcast episode, I put a link um, to it in the chat. I'll copy and paste that and put that in there again. So if you'd like to hear more of Cindy's thoughts for uh, related to that topic in a more conversational format, um, please do check out that podcast. And you can ignore the little bit of promo that we did for the webinar because you were here. So thank you to everybody who attended and stayed on here. Cindy, you really kept everyone's attention looking at the the measure of how many people stayed on through your presentation and into the Q&A. There are some thank yous coming in, and I want to amplify that. Cindy, thank you for presenting today. Thank you for sharing, uh, and really appreciated it. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I had so much fun. This is really a fun one. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for being on. And again, the next webinar, March 9th. Kim Mascarda, you can go and register for that now at kinexus.com slash webinars.